As we begin this new year, I thought it would be good to remind ourselves of our mission and our core commitments as Crossway Fellowship. Maybe you have uh, set some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've set some goals for yourself or for your family for this new year. And I want to encourage us as a community of faith called by the gospel of Jesus Christ to resolve ourselves to serve and glorify the living God and to faithfully proclaim Christ, love others, obey the truth, and walk together. If you're wondering what I mean by resolve, a good example of resolve would be Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan pastor in the uh, New England region in the 1700s. Most consider Jonathan Edwards to be the greatest theological mind to have ever uh, been produced by America, though it wasn't the United States of America yet. Um, When Edwards was 18 years old, he established 70 resolutions for his life. We've done well if we keep one of our New Year's resolutions through March. (laughs) At the age of about 18, he set 70 resolutions. And he prefaces these resolutions with this paragraph, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Let me highlight a few of them for you. Resolution number five, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution number six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Number seven, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number nine, probably the most foreign sounding to us, resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Jonathan Edwards understood the speed at which time passes and the value of thinking about how short life is and how we spend it. Resolution number 11. Resolved, when I think of any theorem in divinity, that's his word for theology, in divinity to be solved immediately to do what I can towards solving it if circumstances do not hinder. Doing laundry, making dinner, okay? If I'm not ill. In other words, whenever any question comes up, any dilemma regarding the Bible, truth, I want to stop everything I'm doing and do whatever I can to resolve that dilemma as long as circumstances allow. Resolution number 17 resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. 
Resolution number 25, resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt of the love of God and so direct all my forces against it. Number 55, resolved to endeavor to my utmost so to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell torments. Resolution number 56, resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I might be. Number 65, resolved very much to exercise myself in this all my life long with the greatest openness of which I am capable to declare my ways to God and lay open my soul to him all my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything and every circumstance. That's an eternal perspective, age of 17 or 18, Jonathan Edwards. It takes resolve to live the Christian life. The reason there are so many calls, I think, to persevere in the New Testament, so many calls for us to endure, because God knows our weaknesses and how easy it is for us to give up. And it takes resolve on our part as Crossway Fellowship to proclaim Christ, to love others, to obey the truth, and to walk together. If you would, take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. The letter to the Galatians is a rather emotional cry from the Apostle Paul for faithfulness to the gospel. And most of the letter is a, uh, a defense. It's devoted to defending justification by faith and the work of the Spirit in the Christian's life as the heart of the gospel. Today, I want to focus on four verses toward the end of this letter where Paul calls for resolve. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Holy Spirit, lead us to your word today, your word which is truth and life to our souls and our minds. Lord, how needy we are, and how ready is your supply. Amen. These verses are driven by this imagery of sowing and reaping. And this sowing and reaping is Paul's way of showing that how we live now affects eternity. 
And we can see in verse 8 that Paul's primary concern is that we not grow weary, that we do not give up. Let us not grow weary if we do not give up. I want us to be resolved in following Christ as Crossway Fellowship. And Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10 provide us two guarantees to strengthen our resolve. And the first is this, we will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow, verses 7 and 8. This is the bedrock principle in verse 7. Do not be deceived. In other words, count on it. Know this for sure. Don't be taken in. God is not mocked. And the word mocked here means despised or scorned. God will not be scorned. And the idea is not so much that people can't mock God in the way that they talk or how they live, but that the end result will not be scorn or mockery because God will make good on his justice. He will make good on his sovereign reign over the world. He will resolve everything with perfect judgment and justice. God will not be thwarted from judging the human race. Therefore, he will not be mocked. He will not be scorned. No one can alter this truth. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. No one can alter the consequences of life. Now, we know this is true in farming and gardening. And, of course, the sowing and reaping is a, is a, a metaphor from agriculture. In farming and gardening, if I sow corn, I reap corn, not barley. If I plant roses, I get roses, not daisies. If I plant grass, I get grass, plus dandelions somehow, okay? which may seem to break my illustration, but somehow the dandelion seed gets in the grass. We reap what we sow. And we have that same phrase, that same proverb, if you will, in our culture. And I think every culture has it. You reap what you sow. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But we also know that this cause and effect applies to so much of life, not just gardening and farming. What about our diet, what we're all thinking about after New Year's? If I sow burgers and fries, I reap a gut. I, I reap fat. Thank you, Lois. <laughs> I reap weight gain. If I sow carrot sticks and salads, I reap probably weight loss healthier, right? What about finances? How I spend my money, how I invest, whether or not I save, how I sow my financial resources, I will also reap. Parenting. If I sow a domineering, um, authoritarian, Spirit to my kids, 
I will reap the consequences. If I am totally placid and hands off and let my kids do whatever, or you let your children do whatever they want to, I reap the consequences of that. You reap the consequences of that. What about sowing integrity or dishonesty in how you conduct business or study? You will reap a reputation. It's the same in all relationships. If I reap time spent and kindness, I reap friendship. This principle of whatever one sows, that will he also reap, applies to so much of life. Paul is applying this sowing and reaping truth to moral pursuits and their eternal consequences. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap, will, I'm sorry, will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, to explain these terms simply, the flesh is the self, capital S. That's the self. It is the sinful desire to put your own self on the throne of life. Not only on the throne of your life, but on the throne of everyone else's life as well. Ultimately, that's what the flesh is. It is the desire to do this. It is a reality that you and I as Christians still struggle with. Even though we belong to Christ, we still struggle with the flesh. And until Jesus changes us entirely, either through death and then resurrection, or his coming, which changes us immediately, we will struggle with the flesh. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God who dwells in the believer and is transforming us. So, Paul presents this, this absolute, diametrically opposed way of sowing. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. And I understand this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. We have to trace Paul's words back in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There you go. Paul is talking to Christians, he's talking to believers, and he's saying that we need to walk by the Spirit because even as Christians, we can gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So to sow to the flesh then is to live this way. 
It is to pursue or allow these attitudes and these behaviors. It is to serve these desires. That's sowing to the flesh. And just as sowing corn means reaping corn, sowing to the flesh means reaping corruption or destruction, this word means. It's literally corruption, but it's talking about the destruction of something. When something is corrupted, uh, we're talking about decaying. We're talking about rancid meat. We're talking about rusted metal. We're talking about things that are consumed and destroyed because they are corrupted. This destruction is the loss of everything, especially eternity with God. This destruction means an eternity of judgment. This is contrasted then in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we know the fruit of the Spirit. This this is the list we know well. And that's good because that's what we're after. That's what we want to focus on. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's interesting, isn't it? Out of all of these uh, desires of the flesh, this list, Paul comes back in verse 26 and renames things that have to do with conflict. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To sow to the Spirit, then, is to live this way. It is to pursue these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and to submit to God's Spirit as He produces this fruit in your life. Sowing to the Spirit means reaping eternal life. This is glory in God's presence. This is... The opposite of eternal judgment is eternal blessing. So this then is the first guarantee that you can bank on and that ought to bring about resolve, strengthen your resolve. And that is, we will reap what we sow. And that cannot be altered. No one gets out of that principle. The second guarantee is we will reap in due season. We will reap in due season. Now, the first guarantee is for everyone. We reap what we sow. Whether we reap to the flesh or whether we reap to the spirit, this governing truth is guaranteed we will reap what we sow. This second guarantee is meant to encourage those who are sowing to the Spirit. There is a due season. There is a designated time for reaping eternal life. And we can already see here from this reaping either corruption or reaping eternal life that what Paul has in mind when he says in due season is the end When I say we will reap what we sow, 
It isn't that we will necessarily reap what we sow in 2019 in 2019. We won't necessarily reap in 2019 what we sow in 2019. Paul has eternity in mind. Paul has the end in mind. But this tells us something about how we are to think and to live as the people of God. We are to live and to think with the perspective of eternity, that this life is short, that we ought to be thinking about, if this were the last hour of my life, what would I be afraid to do, knowing that death was coming in an hour? This is the perspective. So when Paul says, in due season, he doesn't mean that eventually this will come around. He means there is a harvest time. There is a designated time for reaping eternal life. And none of us knows what day that is, even though we can know that it is coming. And so resolve is needed. This is part of the reason resolve is needed. Because we live by faith that this day will come. We will reap what we sow. And those of us who sow to the Spirit, there is the day coming. There is a due season for reaping eternal life. We will reap if we do not give up. We must not grow weary of doing good. And we know that the Christian life, we say this often, the Christian life is a marathon. The Christian life, following Jesus faithfully, requires daily obedience, daily walking, daily faithfulness. And God knows how easily we get gassed, how easily we get distracted. How easily we wander from the path. Paul says, look, we will reap if we do not give up. We must not grow weary of doing good. So what is doing good then? Well, doing good is sowing to the Spirit. It's just another picture of this sowing to the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. And we see another instance here of this, this tension between, well, what is God's part and what is my part in living the Christian life? Because the fruit of the Spirit is very different than the desires of the flesh. Even the imagery is different. The desires of the flesh and then this list of things that Paul gives is all about us generating and going after and doing and pursuing. And, but the fruit of the Spirit, even the, the, uh, the metaphor itself, communicates that we don't produce these things of our own strength and power and ability. We don't produce love and joy. We can't fabricate those things. We can't manufacture them. They are the fruit of whom? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to produce those things in our lives. But we are called to walk in the Spirit. We are called to sow 
to the Spirit. We are called to do good. And the good, then, is the tangible seed that we sow. That's what the good is. Now, doing good could be talking about sharing resources. The context here, even Galatians uh, 6, verses 1 through 6, it could very well be, and, and some scholars think this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about sharing resources with others in need, whether that's money or, or food, provisions, that we are sharing and bearing with one another in their needs. And so doing good has to do with with uh, generosity and hospitality. It certainly includes those things. But when it's connected to sowing to the Spirit, I, I have to think that Paul is, is talking about doing good as something far broader. This is all-encompassing. So when we think of doing good, we shouldn't, shouldn't think of just uh, delivering meals to someone in need or giving someone a ride, or helping someone fix something, or those kinds of things. Those things are all included. That is part of doing good, meeting financial needs. These are good works. These are good deeds. These are seed that is sown to the Spirit. But doing good is really the opposite of the works of the flesh. All that is produced by love and joy, and peace, and patience. That's what good is. For us in Crossway Fellowship, to do good is to love others, to obey the truth, to proclaim Christ, to walk together. These really are categories for doing good, for doing the good that Paul is calling us to. And whether it is that we face discouragement or face the temptation to be spiritually lazy or to buy into the lie that God doesn't take sin seriously. Hey, we've got grace. We are to not give up. We are to not grow weary. So let's ask the question then, how, how can you know if you've grown weary of doing good? especially in the context of Crossway Fellowship. How can you know if you've grown weary of doing good? Let me give you some signs that you've grown weary of doing good. This is just kind of a diagnostic, okay? Many more things could be added to this, but let me just ping on these things if I can. Number one, if you are high in criticism but low in participation, then you've grown weary, okay? If you are high in criticism but low in participation, then you've grown weary. If you find yourself feeling critical and voicing criticism, whether that's public or even if that's in private to your spouse or to someone you know, criticism of the church, how things are done, the way decisions are made, what's missing or what's lacking, but you're not actually plugged into the life of the body, you're not participating in community groups or discipleship or pursuing relationships or Bible studies or retreats or whatever it might be. If you're not doing these things, 
and you're just voicing criticism, that's wrong. And you've grown weary of doing good. It's one thing for someone to feel some frustration, okay? For someone to say, you know, have you ever thought about this? Or could we do this differently? We're not above criticizing ourselves, thinking critically, making changes. We should really do this. But to be sitting outside on the bleachers, the armchair quarterback, and to be making those criticisms without participating, you've grown weary. It's something for someone to say, hey, we need to change something, or have you guys thought about this, or this wasn't, we're not doing well here. It's one thing for someone who's involved and participating to say that. It's another for someone to be discontent while sitting in the bleachers and not participating. So it's a sign that you've grown weary of doing good if you're high in criticism but low in participation. Secondly, another sign is if you evaluate church in terms of me, you've grown weary in doing good. If you evaluate church in terms of me, now this can be tricky because there are right reasons to be dissatisfied in a church, to evaluate, is this church really following Christ? Is this church committed to the authority of Scripture? Is this church committed to loving one another and loving the world, people around us? There are right reasons to go, I don't know if this church is really grounded. I don't know if this church is is really committed to the gospel. There are right reasons to question or to leave a church. But if the predominant thinking, if the lens through which you evaluate ministry and fellowship and discipleship, if all of these things are seen through the lens of me, what do these things offer me? What does it do for me? Then you've grown weary of doing good to everyone and especially the household of faith. The church is no longer of central concern. Others, the gospel, no longer, no longer central concern. That's the, that's the consumer mall, shopping mall mentality that we often approach church with. Let's see, I, I want to make sure I get this kind of store and this kind of store and this kind of store when I go to church. Again, I'm just, I'm just throwing things out. All these could be developed and thought through. But I'm just provoking I'm provoking. Okay. Number three, it's a sign that you've grown weary of doing good if you are embittered by others' failures. If you are embittered by others' failures. It may be personal. It may be that you have been mistreated or you feel taken advantage of by someone else in the body. Maybe you feel neglected or overlooked or that your service or your, your endeavors have, or have gone unnoticed. And it may be that there is some sort of a conflict with somebody and it's right to approach them about. Maybe, maybe there's an offense or something you need to go to somebody and say, look, I, we, need to, we need to work through this. That may be. It, it's, it's, especially, uh, it's especially damaging if you are bitter toward those in spiritual leadership, if you feel like they have failed you, 
Maybe they've set poor examples. Maybe they've been manipulative or maybe authoritarian or even abusive. I'm not saying that time and healing aren't needed. But if, but if being wronged or, or seeing sin, and it may be someone you personally know in leadership, it may be someone here at Crossway, it may be someone at a different church, it may be just a leader in evangelical Christianity at large that you've become embittered by or frustrated with, disappointed in. But if those kinds of responses embitter you, they cause you to be suspicious, they cause you to hold the church and other believers at arm's length, or maybe even abandon church altogether or redefine what church is, then you've grown weary. You've grown weary of doing good. It's wrong to let bitterness grow, okay? It's a sign that you've grown weary in doing good. Fourthly, you've grown weary of doing good if you neglect to give of your time and money. If you neglect to give of your time and money. If you make excuses for neglecting these basic disciplines of discipleship, serving, giving financially, and giving sacrificially. And if you find yourself making excuses for this, such as something like, well, I give a lot of my time, therefore I don't need to give monetarily to the church or to missions. I don't need to give that. There's also the flip side, which is I don't really have time to do any of this, so I'll I'll give. I'll throw some money at it. I'll buy my way out of serving. <laughs> you're supposed to give both. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to give sacrificially, financially, to the work of God in the local church, and you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to use your gifts in the body. If you find yourself prioritizing everything else in life, whether that's how you spend your money and how you invest your resources or how you spend and invest your time, and the life of the church and the fellowship with fellow believers and the mission of Jesus all get pushed down the list, you've grown weary of doing good. Remember, we will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. Fifthly, and lastly, like I said, there could be other things to hit on. These are just the primary things that came to my mind. If you have abandoned your neighbors because Jesus and truth are unpopular. If you have abandoned your neighbors because Jesus and truth are unpopular, you've grown weary of doing good. There is the temptation to disengage because there's some hostility now, not everybody and not everyone to the same degree, but there's some hostility if you name Jesus, if you talk about truth. And if that causes you, has caused you, and you find yourself circling the wagons, if you find yourself in the bunker, getting down in the bunker, you've grown weary of doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. It is exactly... That culture that needs us to be open, that needs us to be ready, 
the more hostile it is, I believe the more ready God is to do something in our world, in our culture. Okay, so these are just some signs, some things to to think about, all right? What do we do about it? How do we counteract weariness in doing good? How do we fight the temptation to give up then? Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us do good. Capitalize on opportunities to do good. Now, those opportunities may be spontaneous. They may be unplanned. But they will also be planned and organized. Both doing good, both to everyone, but especially the household of faith. Paul is saying it starts here. That's what I'm going to understand him to be saying. We're to do good to everyone, but the first filter, the first check on whether or not we are doing good and sowing to the Spirit is how we treat each other and whether or not we are supporting one another, whether or not we are serving side by side, whether or not we are meeting one another's needs, whether or not we are forgiving one another and reconciling with one another. That comes first. So to everyone, especially the household of faith, are you doing this? Among all of your goals or your resolutions for the new year, how many of them would count towards sowing to the Spirit? Just think about it. How many of them would count as sowing to the Spirit? What are, what are the opportunities Well, what about interceding for others in prayer? Any of your goals or New Year's resolutions have anything to do with the frequency, the regularity, the discipline of prayer? What about seeking reconciliation when wronged or having wronged someone else? Did any of your resolutions or your goals for this year include seeking out people you need to make things right with? as far as it depends on you. What about studying Scripture, being saturated with God's Word? More tangible opportunities here at Crossway. What about community groups? This is a priority for us at Crossway Fellowship. Being being involved in a smaller group of people where your life is open and other people's lives are open to you, where needs can be met on more practical levels, where the Word of God is discussed and and loved and applied? What about community groups? What about women's Bible studies? What about prayer groups, men's prayer on Friday mornings here? Uh, Every Sunday morning or the first Sunday of every month, there's a group that, that gets together and prays before the service. I believe they start at 9. The details are in every... Um, every e-newsletter we send out. They're in the bulletin that you got when you came in this morning. What about those? What about, what about serving the Everett Gospel Mission? What about helping with VBS this next summer? What about supporting, whether financially or even participating in going to India or Ukraine? We're talking about those missions and those trips this next year? 
How about taking the How People Change class that Pastor Larry teaches periodically? I think he's got another one coming up here in the next couple of months starting. It's really meant to equip you as the body to love and encourage and disciple each other, especially in times of crisis or struggling with sin. How people change. How about serving with the hospitality team or the facilities team? How about overseeing the grounds? <laughs> we still have this need at Crossway. Since uh, Pat Sweet, who served so faithfully for so many years, said, I, I need to do something else in the life of the body and in ministry and step down from that, we still don't have anyone who said, I'll own that. I'll help organize and take care of the grounds. What about starting something new? Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is uh, moving you, is working in your heart and mind and your passions to do something we've never done at Crossway. But there are opportunities. There are opportunities everywhere. And you see, not all doing good is organic. <laughs> there is spontaneous. You ought to respond to things as they come up. That's doing good also. But sometimes when we use organic, what we really mean is it doesn't really matter if it happens or not. It's, it's just organic, and if it doesn't happen, it didn't happen because everything's organic. Okay. It happens if it's deliberate and planned, if it's committed to. Same with the spiritual disciplines, right? We don't like to read our Bibles just as rote I've just got to check off this box. I've just got to jump through this hoop. I've got to say the prayer. I've got to read my Bible. And every one of us has days like, I have days like that. And you know what gets me through it? Doing it. Sometimes I come into my office. I've got to read my Bible because I've got to preach on Sunday, and I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it any more than you felt like it that morning when you got up. <laughs> but that's what I have to do. And the Lord is calling me to do that. He's calling you to do that too. And it's actually in doing it and reading and thinking that the passion then comes. So you're not always going to feel like doing these things. There is deliberation. There's a, think about Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. You think he felt like doing those things every day, all 70 of them? Why do you think he told himself, read these once a week? Okay. If we grow weary and we don't acknowledge it, if we don't respond to that weariness by talking with someone constructively about it, going to the scriptures and inspecting it and being really honest, again, Jonathan Edwards, to lay open before God, resolved to lay open before God, all of my sins, my temptations, my weaknesses, all of these things, if we don't take it to the scriptures and inspect it and lay our hearts open before God, things won't change. Asking for help. If we don't make changes, then we sow to the flesh. We sow to the flesh. We actually plow the field for enmity, Strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envying, provoking, immorality, devouring one another. Okay. We do those things. 
So I pray that 2019 then will for us be a fruitful year. And I believe it will be because I believe God loves us and I believe God has purpose, deep purpose for this church body and what he has before us in terms of mission and ministry. And so, Lord, we come at the beginning of this year then and commit it to you and ask that in your patience and your gentleness as our shepherd that you will Uh, that you will work in our hearts. There is nothing that we could confess, no sin or or weakness that that we could harbor, Lord, that you don't see already, that you don't understand, that you don't know deeply. And Lord, that you are not already to forgive us for and to restore us. And Lord, where we are faithful in these things, and I, I think about this church body, and I think about uh, so many faithful people and so much sacrifice and so much giving, Lord. Um, Lord, I'm grateful for that. We are grateful as a church that you supply what we need and the strength that we need. Lord, help us to think rightly of our lives of their brevity, and Lord, the length of eternity and how we can have resolve to sow to the Spirit that we might reap eternal life. In your name we ask these things, amen.